Numbers chapter 13. This morning we come to a very important account, but it's a pretty lengthy portion of Scripture. So let's all grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible, and that will help us all stay awake and engaged as we quickly read this portion of God's Word. Numbers chapter 13, let's begin in verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of Yahweh, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. These were their names, of the tribe of Reuben, Shemoa, the son of Zakur, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, of the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Zodi, from the tribe of Joseph, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Sushi, and of the tribe of Dan, Amelio, the son of Gemeli, from the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, the son of uh, Bosai, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Machai. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, but Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country and see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they op like open camps or with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes, so it was summertime. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Lebo Hamath. And they had done, had gone into the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates, pomegranates and, and the figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down there. Then they returned from spying out the land at the end of forty days, and went and came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they recounted to him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. 
Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we are surely able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which we have passed through to spy out on is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we, be, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept, in, wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why has why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones be, will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of, of Jephunneh, of, of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land if Yahweh is pleased with us then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey but as for you only do not rebel against Yahweh and do not fear the people of the land for they are our bread their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have done in their midst? I will strike them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you, you Moses, into a, greater na into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to Yahweh, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your power you brought, us, brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They, they have heard that you, O Yahweh, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Yahweh, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now... You put this people to death as one man, or if you totally annihilate them, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because Yahweh was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore to them. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. So now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. What he's talking about is what he declared earlier to him, you know, in the cleft of the rock, when he asked him to show him his glory. Remember, here's what he showed him. Yahweh is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Yahweh said, I have pardoned them. In other words, okay. I have pardoned them according to your word. 
But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I have done in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, they shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his seed shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, declares Yahweh, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I, sh I swore to make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of, of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your little ones, however, who you said would become plunder, I will bring them in, so that they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses come to an end in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, forty days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even forty years, and you will know my opposition." I, Yahweh, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to an end, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before Yahweh. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Then Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are, we will go up to the place which Yahweh has promised, because we have indeed sinned. But Moses said, Why then do you trespass against the command of Yahweh, when it will not succeed? Do not go up, for Yahweh is not among you, so that you are not defeated before your enemies. For the Amalekites and Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned back from following Yahweh. And Yahweh will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of Yahweh nor Moses moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. So as we, as we begin, I want to give us a very brief summary of this text, but I'm going to go ahead and go jump ahead to application, if you will, to do so. So here's the summary. Children of God, blessing or cursing, which do you want? Which do you want? It's your choice. Which you want? Obedience to God, Yahweh, or rebellion against Him? Which will it be? 
To be totally transparent, this summary is not really mine, but it's the New Testament's. This is exactly how the New Testament sees these events. Writing to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul wrote that even though God blessed these people here all greatly, together blessed them greatly, he wrote in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, for us believers, that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 verse 12, he writes, See to it, brothers, again, the context is believers. See to it, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear the, His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see then that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Then he continues on in that chapter, and then he gives us the application to everything that he says in chapter 4, verse 11. Therefore, because of all that we see in, in this account, all we see in the unbelief and the disobedience of Israel, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. So again, children of God, blessing or cursing? Blessing of cursing, which do you want? It's your choice. I'm talking to the children of God, you understand. God gives us a will in which we can make choices. He renews our mind. So, blessings or cursings, which do you want? Obedience to God, Yahweh, or rebellion against Him? Which will it be? So, we could begin at the beginning of chapter 13 here and, and work our way through these two chapters. We could labor to see the delegation of men that are organized to spy out the promised land in verses 1 through 16. We could look closer at the objective of their mission in verses 17 through 20, and then the mission itself in verses 21 through 24. We could look at the report, the bad report of the ten men, and then Caleb's attempt to persuade them differently in verses 25 through 33. Followed by the people's reaction, almost murderous reaction, to their bad report that we see in the first ten verses of chapter 14. Which in turn leads to God Yahweh's reaction to their unbelief and disobedience described at length in verses 11 through 38 in chapter 14. We can even look and see in verses 39 through 45 what can happen when obedience is delayed. In other words, saints, obey today. While it is still today, 
obey today. So we can work our way through the text and see all of this here, but we aren't going to do that, at least not today. I want us to approach, approach it a little differently. It is clear to see, especially with the New Testament's help, that this account is about the unbelief and disobedience of Israel pictured as God's people. And not only does it show us their unbelief and disobedience, it also shows us just what that unbelief and that disobedience cost them. Right? So the takeaway here is blessing, blessing, true blessing, not necessarily what we think is blessing or what we feel is blessing, but true blessing, what God sees as blessing, what He knows is blessing comes from faith and obedience. And cursing comes from unbelief and disobedience. Isn't that what is displayed here? Obviously, it is. But as clear and logical as this truth is, surely we as God's people are all learning that obedience and the blessing of obedience is not always easy. It's not always easy. Or let me put it like this. This delegation of, of these men here, let us all realize, they faithfully accomplished the objective of their mission. They spent 40 days searching out the land. Verse 21 tells us that they searched it out from its southern borders to its northern borders. And even the report they brought back, the people of the land, they were strong. The cities of the land were large and fortified, and there were even giants, very tall, large people there. I mean, Caleb and, and Joshua, they do not say here that these men were lying about the things that they witnessed in the land, do they? No, because they weren't lying. It was true. The people were strong. The cities were large. They were fortified, and there were giants, if you could call them that, in the land. And isn't it true for us as well, saints, that on the road, on the narrow way of obedience and God's blessing, there are strong enemies. There are fortified strongholds. And there, there are giants of opposition as well. Isn't that true? If you are a child of God and you've not learned that yet, you will. Satan himself is against us. He's real. He's out to destroy you. You can bank on it because God's word tells us that he is. He's a roaring, lying, seeking, searching to whom he, will, to whom he can devour. Satan himself is against us. This world is against us. Jesus said, know this, if they hate you, they hate me, they will hate you too. They will put you to death just like they put me to death. And even our own sinful flesh, it's all fighting against us. So yes, obedience equals blessing, absolutely. But it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. If it's easy, y'all, something's wrong. But remember 1 John chapter 4. Greater is he that is in you, child of God, than he that is in the world. Remember that? And that is what I want us to get a glimpse of right here in this instructive 
example. Or let me put it like this. I want us all to see here. I want us to see all that these people had to ignore and refuse. I want us to see all that these people... I want us to see the God of goodness and mercy and grace and patience that they had to ignore and refuse to get themselves into this mess. And it begins right here in the very first words of verse 1. Notice it says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses. So here's the thing. We don't have all the details right here of why God here speaks to Moses and tells him to gather this delegation to go and spy out the land. But 40 years later, when Moses recounts and reminds them about this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we learn that when they came to this place where they are, right here where our, where our account began, where our text began, when they came to this place, Moses challenged the people to go up and take the land that God had given them. And when he did... The people asked if they could first go send a delegation of men to search out the land. So if we put all of that together, we can understand that this delegation was formed and sent because God Yahweh Himself was gently, mercifully encouraging their obedience. This is actually a lot like Gideon. Remember him? Remember the whole sheepskin episode? You know, the, the sheepskin was wet, but not the ground around it. Then he went to the Lord again and said, hey, okay, yeah, do, do this for me then. Then the ground was wet, but not the sheepskin. You remember all of that? Remember how patiently and mercifully God proved himself to him? And he did so to encourage his obedience. So saints, I wonder how often this same God, our Lord, does such things for us. And not just when we ask Him, but all the time. I wonder how often He shows and proves to us that He is for us and He is with us. I, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if, we, if we understand how often He gives us every reason to be, to be obedient to Him. How often he does this and we don't even realize that that is what he is doing. I wonder when we get to glory if the Lord might say, we, we, we might have the opportunity to ask him, Lord, what was going on here? And he'll pull the curtain back and he'll show us, well, this is what I was doing. And you see how this did this later on? I wonder... How often the Lord encourages our obedience and we don't even realize that that is what he's doing. And I'm just going to go ahead and step out on a limb here, but it's a big limb. And propose to us that he has and he is mercifully, graciously, patiently doing this for us saints all the time. Even this morning, right here right now in fact think about this a moment so we can understand that this whole delegation and them going being sent out to spy out the land this was all God this was all in his plan in his providence in his way of encouraging them 
And, and God here allows this delegation to be sent with the objective, with the objective that is revealed to us here in verses 17 through 20, to see what the land and the people and the cities are like, right? It's all God. It's His objective. He wants them to see what these people, what this land, what the cities are like. Does God know what this land, what these cities, what these people are like? Well, yes. He knows. So, do you think that God gives them this objective so that they will shrink back when they see the great land and the strong people and the fortified cities? you think that's why God sent them the way He did? Or, or do you think that God gave them this objective that He allowed them to see how great the land and how great the cities and how great the people were so that they would see how great the God is who promised and gave all of this into their hands? Which do you think God had in mind? So saints, do you have great enemies? Do you have great opposition? Then how great is the God that promises us that even in all of this we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us? God sent them to spy out the land so that they would see His greatness magnified by the greatness of the people and the land and the cities. Could we see here that God could bring great opposition into our lives so that we could see His greatness magnified by the great opposition in our lives? And speaking of his promise to give them this land in the mission itself, in verses 21 through 25, there seems to be a focus here is repeated, the words repeated, on, upon Hebron, which at that time would have been the largest city and the most fortified city of the land. But here's the thing. When these people came to Hebron and saw its greatness, fear should not have been their reaction. It should not have been. Glory should have been their reaction because Abraham and even the entire patriarchal family was buried right there in Hebron. The greatness of Hebron should have been a witness to them of the amazing power and sovereign providence of God Yahweh. It should have been. In other words, if God Yahweh had given anything to them, he would have given Hebron to them. Abraham had already purchased Hebron. Their patriarchal father had already purchased the land. So it was, it was theirs by purchase. So if God had given them anything, he would have given them Hebron, which was the greatest part of the land, the greatest city in the land. And y'all, if he gave them the greatest, would he not give them the lesser then? Seems like we hear something about like that in Romans chapter 8. 
If I've given you my son, will I not freely give you all things with him? And saints, hasn't God left us also faithful witnesses of his power and sovereign providence as well? Hasn't he clearly left us infallible proofs of the blessings of being obedient to him, even though it costs us everything? Yes, he has. He, he has first and foremost through this book, in this book. This book is absolutely full of example after example, proof after proof that this is true. And then, even to add to that, I can tell you the bookshelves in my study are full of, as well, of men and women who faithfully, obediently gave and surrendered their lives and their living to Christ. And their lives, though their bodies have been dead in, and in the grave for years, their lives, their obedient lives are still bearing fruit unto eternal glory. So, can we see it? These people... Their unbelief, their disobedience, it had to walk right over the good, merciful, gracious, patience of God Yahweh. It had to close its eyes and stop its ears to the faithful witness of their descendants. And saints, so does ours. So does our unbelief and disobedience. And that's not all. In verses 26 through 33, there is the report that the men of this delegation brought back. And notice what they say about the land in verse 27. The land, quote, it certainly does flow with milk and honey. Y'all know what that means? The land is exactly as God described and promised it to be. God Yahweh is faithful. God Yahweh is true. He does not. He will not. He cannot lie. So saints, what has the same God promised us? He has promised us that though we be great sinners, though we be hell-worthy sinners, still yet, if we, by His grace, through His gift of faith, if we turn from the love of our sin and the love of ourself, and we turn to Him through the person and the work, the gospel glory of Christ Jesus, if we surrender ourselves to Him as our only Savior and our only reigning Lord, that though the way of, this, of the faith that is in Him is full of giants of opposition, still yet, if we continue in this narrow way, we will learn and find that this way is indeed the way of real, true, even everlasting blessing and glory. So can we believe Him? Can we trust Him? Absolutely. Even this admission right here of these unbelieving, disobedient men witnesses the truth to us that God is faithful. This land, they say, certainly does flow with milk and honey. Our God does not, and He will not lie to us. He will absolutely keep His word, this word, to us. So these men, even in their admission of God's faithfulness, still their unbelief prevails to bring to the people this bad report. Which is, if I could put it this way, God, who faithfully delivered us from Egypt, 
God who faithfully led us, God who faithfully provided for us day and night for the last two and a half years and, and, and has now brought us to the gates of the very land that He promised to give us and the land is exactly as He promised us. Nevertheless, the people of the land are giants. The people of the land are strong and, and big. What are they saying? The people of the land are stronger and bigger than this God, than our God. Unbelief surely is blinding, isn't it? God save us from the blindness of our unbelief, right? Do you want to be saved from the blindness of your unbelief? If so, how God does that is right here. How He saves us from the blindness of our unbelief is right here. As the men gave this bad report, what happens? Well, one of the twelve men of this delegation, Caleb, who God describes in chapter 14, verse 34, as having a different spirit who follows him fully, this man Caleb speaks up. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of the land, for we are surely able to overcome it. And then another of the men of this delegation, Moses' servant, Joshua, him and Caleb together in chapter 14, verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land. If Yahweh is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahweh, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our bread or our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? So yes, saints, the way of faith and obedience is the way of blessing, but it's not easy, not at all. The way is full of giants of opposition within and without. Yes, and so God, in His grace and mercy, He helps us. He helps us directly. He helps us personally. He helps us through His people. He helps us through His servants who remind us of His Word, who remind us of Him. That's how He saves us from the blindness of our unbelief. Can't you see it right here in the text? These people are blind. They're saying crazy stuff. Oh, the people are too big. The people are too strong. The walls of the city are too high. After they spent two and a half years out in the wilderness with God Yahweh, they dare to say that something is bigger than Him. They dare to say that His arm is shortened. It's craziness. So what does God do? He supplies a witness right in the middle of their unbelief who declare to Him and remind them and plead with them. 
based on the truth of God. God provides his servants, his people for us to save us from our own belief if we want to be saved from it. These people in unbelief and disobedience and rebellion, they refuse all of this. They ignore all of it. They refuse and ignore God's own good, gracious, merciful patience. They ignore and refuse the faithful witness of their ancestors, God's faithful servants of the past. They refuse and ignore the proof of God's faithfulness, of His trustworthiness that they, were, that they witnessed with their own eyes. They refuse and ignore God's present faithful servants who are pleading with them to turn from their sin and disobedience and to be obedient. They refused and ignored all of it. They refused and ignored all of these means, past and present means of God's gracious, true blessing. And so what did they receive instead? They received God's cursing. They received God's judgment instead of His blessing. God can't do that. Yes, He can. We'll probably take a little, a little closer look at this next time. But before we stop today, let me, let me just show us one thing here. For all the shame of their unbelief and disobedience, God Himself says something here that ought to shatter all of our hearts. Look at chapter 14, verse 11. Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? That word spurn means despise. It means hate. How long will these people hate me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have done in their midst. Do we all feel the pain in God's words? So saints, in this account here, we see everything that these people had to ignore and refuse to get themselves into this mess. They even had to grieve God Himself. They had to break His heart to do it. You've probably heard me say as parents that we give our children the ability for them to break our hearts. We do. We do. And children of God, God Himself has given us that same ability to break his by our unbelief and disobedience. How long will these people continue to hate me? How long will they not believe in me? So blessing of cur blessing or curse which will it be? It's your choice, saints. So obedience unto blessing or disobedience 
unto cursing. God help us to love him too much to be disobedient to him. Let's pray.